I'm Anya Murray. And I'm Brian Glynn. Welcome to our final episode of Root and Branch. In this series, Anya and I have been weaving together a kind of radio ballad about six of our native tree species. We've covered birch, hazel, willow, ash, holly, and now oak. For each episode, I've gathered some traditional songs and tunes to play. And I've also written some songs especially for each tree, inspired by what I've been discovering from our interviewees, from my own research and experience with these trees. This week we take a wander through an ancient oak woodland in Connemara with nature writer and woodland enthusiast Lenny Antonelli to see for ourselves why these oceanic woods are also called temperate rainforests. We also travelled to see the enormous Brian Baru Oak near the shores of Loch Derg in East Clare and meet Jeremy Turkington from the Irish Seed Savers Association who is growing and distributing saplings from this mighty tree to communities all over Ireland. Tucked away in a few remote valleys in the west of Ireland are the last remnants of Ireland's Atlantic oak woodlands. Because the humidity is so high here, these are also known as oceanic or temperate rainforests. Thick carpets of moss are everywhere, covering boulders and rocky ledges. Lichens drip from tree trunks, and ferns are unfurling all the way along the branches of big canopy trees. Brian and I met with nature writer Lenny Antonelli in Connemara, and he brought us to Derry Clare Wood, nestled in a valley under the spectacular Twelve Bends Mountains. We trekked for an hour up through the valley to reach the woods, in a very special spot indeed. We're in this wood, we're just, you know, there's no trails, there's no paths. We're just trying to navigate our own way through it and find our way. We had a bit of a hike to get in here, so there's a real wild character to it, you know, which makes it really, really special as well. There is, and the humidity. Here, let's see, can we get right into the midst of the wood? I always think there's something about, something about the light in oak woods, you know, like you always get this lovely kind of filtered, sunlight in, in oak woods. You don't get a heavy shade like you do in some other woods. It's always this beautiful kind of patterned sunlight that's kind of hitting the ground in some places but not in others. Yeah, it's really like special and really kind of gives the oak wood its character. And Lenny, is this what we'd call an Irish oak rainforest? Yeah, this is what we call an Irish rainforest, or some people call it the Celtic rainforest. It probably rains here about 200 days of the year. So even after a dry spell, you come in here and you find little damp patches under boulders or on the kind of dark shady sides of trees where it's still damp. And those are the places where 
the mosses and the ferns, you know, love to live where they just, they just thrive there. You know, you'll often see lovely big cushions of moss on these like damp parts of trees and rocks, just loving the moisture and the humidity. The species of oak that we have here in Derry Clare is the sessile oak. We have two species of oak in Ireland, the sessile oak and the pedunculate oak. And the sessile oak does really well on the rocky acidic soils out here in the west of Ireland. It would have once done quite well over lots of areas of, of Connemara. These enormous oak trees are the scaffolding for the whole ecosystem, but there's so much more that we can't see. Beneath the ground is an unseen network of mighty roots, finding their way through crevices of rock, seeking out pockets of soil, and anchoring the weight of the canopy up above. Tens of thousands of organisms live in the soil of a woodland like this too, including lots of different forms of fungi. Suppose in the autumn here, we see all these mushrooms coming up from the forest floor, and we kind of think that that's, that's what a mushroom is, but really what's going on under the ground is amazing. You've got all these mycorrhizal threads, which are just these filaments that the fungi are sending out through the soil. What's only been discovered in recent decades is how the roots of trees and these mycorrhizal fungi are all intertwined together. So there's sort of a, a symbiotic relationship going on again as well, where the, the tree is providing sugar because it's capturing the sunlight and turning it to sugar. And it's providing that to these filaments of fungi under the ground. And then the fungi are, um, are scavenging for nutrients and bringing back water to the tree. And the trees can even you know, use it to send signals to each other through the soil. Um, so there's this whole web of life. It's been called the wood wide web under the ground that I suppose scientists are only just beginning to understand. I started reading a little bit about this and it's mind-blowing the complexity of the relationship even from tree to tree and how the mycorrhizal fungi support trees that are maybe diseased or weak by sending extra nutrients their way or they can warn if there's a, a load of pests like a, a disease coming their way they warn each other in advance and these communication networks are all mycorrhizal they're fungi right so i think the Western science has always liked to divide nature into individual organisms, into trees and this plant and that plant and this species and that species. But I think really we're starting to get a sense now that actually, you know, everything functions as a whole in forest ecosystems. And I mean, that's something if you come to kind of a magical place like this, that you probably have a, an innate sense of anyway, you know, it feels like a whole ecosystem and everything's interconnected around you. But now we're, uh, we're starting to understand that scientifically. The myriad of organisms in an ancient oak woodland such as this have developed over thousands of years. There are multiple symbiotic relationships between each living component of this ecosystem. This kind of old growth woodland is not something that can just spring up overnight. Look, there's a fertility butterfly. So they're really big, orange-winged with these black spots, a beautiful pattern. And they're kind of butterfly that would be on the wing at the moment, and they like deciduous woodlands in Ireland. So I'm guessing it was a, a silver-washed fritillary. There must be so many butterflies and moths, aren't there? 1,400 different species of moth in Ireland. I wonder how many of those live in an oak woodland like this. One of the more majestic animals who would have been at home around woodlands such as this are white-tailed eagles a species that has recently been reintroduced to Ireland. There have been a couple of white-tailed eagles that have nested not too far from here, so you mean you imagine they must have uh, stopped off at this wood 
from time to time and uh, possibly even scoped it out as a as a nesting site because it is kind of an idea would, would be a perfect nesting site for white-tailed eagles wouldn't it because it's quite a remote woodland or on the shore of a lake this would be a great home for white-tailed eagles I, I would think and maybe as they the species expands across the country one day we'll we'll have white-tailed eagles nesting here and the young ones when they fledge they fly all over the country looking for new suitable habitat surely it's just a matter of time before they establish themselves here because we've got the lake at the edge of this woodland as well and one thing i'd be listening out for in any woodland I visit these days in the west of Ireland is the sound of a woodpecker. You know, woodpeckers, the great spotted woodpecker is a bird that has returned to Ireland in recent years from the UK and it's, it came to Wicklow and the east coast first and it's been gradually working its way across the country. And we've had our first reports of woodpecker from woods in the east side of County Galway uh, now so it's only a matter of time before we probably hear the tap 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 sound of the woodpecker in a wood like this like digging for grubs under the under the bark of the tree or making a, a nest hole for itself in the tree. Oceanic oak woodlands like this once covered much of the west of Ireland but now only tiny pockets of these Irish rainforests survive but even these last remnants are threatened and need ongoing protection if they're to survive in all their glory. Like, is this a healthy woodland or are there, are there conservation needs, like dealing with the grazers? They've just put in a new fence all the way around the wood to uh, try to exclude the sheep and the deer. Obviously, once upon a time, we had wolves in Ireland. And, you know, wolves, even if they didn't catch and kill the deer, they would keep them on the move. You know, they would be chasing them. The deer would know their wolves around and they would move on, which means they wouldn't linger too long in one place. And that would allow a new generation of saplings to grow up. But now, of course, deer have no natural predators and so they can just linger and, you know, eat away to their heart's content and um, munch happily away on the, the oak and the hazel and the birch saplings that, um, that would be growing here. I've been in places in oak woodlands where there's a deer exclosure and the difference is really phenomenal. And there's a thicket of growth that's shoulder high and you can hardly get through it. It's totally impenetrable tangle of brambles and oak saplings and ferns and all sorts of underflora. And that's just so much richer ecosystem than something that's nibbled back so severely by deer. We're already seeing some of the signs of the the, the plants on the on the floor of the wood kind of bounding back into life and growing up and we're seeing a few little saplings around the place. So that's a really good sign for the, the future health of the wood. So this wood is actually gonna be at the heart of a new uh, ecosystem restoration project. Um, you might have seen coming in that the whole wood is surrounded by, by coniferous forestry, but actually there's a plan now to uh, remove most of that and to restore the blanket bog habitat and, and some of the woodland habitat that used to be here. So that will really help to, to protect this wood in the long term as well. Fascinating to think about what could return if we, if we, if we just allow it to happen. Oak has a place in songs, poetry, folklore and history as one of the most respected trees in our forests. As Lenny told us, Oak was dominant at one time in our vast native woods, as it would have been across Britain and other parts of Western Europe. 
In his book, The Puck of Pook's Hill, Rudyard Kipling wrote the following poem called A Tree Poem, which was later set into song by Peter Bellamy as Oak and Ash and Thorn. In a woodland near my home, I recorded two great traditional singers, Neve Berry and Joe Potter, singing this tribute to these great trees, accompanied by some neighbouring birds. Of all the trees that grow so fair, Old England to adorn, Greater are none beneath the sun Than oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, All on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing In oak and ash and thorn. Oak of the clay lived many a day, forever Aeneas began. Ash of the loam was a lady at home when Brute was an outlawed man. And thorn of the dance on you, Troy town, of which was London born, to witness hereby the ancient tribe of oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, all on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing in oak and ash and thorn. You that is old in churchyard mould, he breedeth a mighty bow. And all the fur shoes do wise men choose, and bleach for cups also. But when you have killed and your bowl is spilled, and your shoes are clean outworn, back you must be for all that you need to oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, all on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing in oak and ash and thorn. Ellum she hates mankind and waits till every gust be late to drop a limb on the head of him that anyway trusts the shade. But whether a lad be sober or sad or mellow with hail from the horn, he taketh no wrong when he lieth along neath oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, all on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing in oak and ash and thorn. Oh, do not tell the priest our plight, for he would call it a sin. But we've been out in the woods all night to conjure and summer in. We bring you good news by word of mouth, good news for cattle and corn. Now is the sun come up from the south by oak and ash and thorn. Sing oak and ash and thorn, good sirs, all on a midsummer's morn. England shall bite till judgment tide by oak and ash and thorn. For thousands of years, oak woodlands covered almost all of Ireland, growing together with elm, ash, Scots pine, holly, hazel, rowan, birch and hawthorn, depending on the terrain. Oak timber was highly valued in Ireland right throughout history, not only for its strength, but also for the tannin that was extracted from the bark, used to tan leather. Acorns were valued as fodder, to feed domestic pigs through the winter months. And apart from the utility, there was a special place for great trees in folklore, and people here have always revered certain trees. 
Even the simple fact that Irish place names often reflect the trees that grew in the area tells us that trees had much greater respect in our culture in the past. There are thousands of place names in Ireland containing thar, the Irish word for oak, or dirre, often anglicised as derry, meaning an oak woodland. There are dozens of places called dirre or derry. Dirre Lahan, the broad oak wood. Dirreen, little oak wood. Knuck on dirre, the hill of the oak woodland. Baile on dirre, the town of the oak wood. Or Dirramore, the big oak wood. Clearly oak woods were dominant in the entire Irish landscape. It would have been possible at one stage to walk from Loch Derg all the way to Derry without leaving oak woods. And it is by the shores of Loch Derg in East Clare that we went to visit a grand, enormous and famous old oak, one with its own legends, history and cult status. That is the Brian Baru oak. We have visited many old oak woods, but this is by far the biggest and oldest oak that we have ever seen. Under this huge oak we met with Jeremy Turkington from the Irish Seed Savers Association to hear about this tree and a project that they've been working on to ensure that the lineage and the story of the Brian Brew Oak may continue for hundreds of years to come. trunk of this is like the bowl is huge like it's there's absolutely enormous yeah i don't think i've ever seen i mean i've seen plenty of big oaks but like each limb of this tree is about as big as yeah, a 200 year old oak isn't it it's absolutely huge i'm showing no real signs of um retrenching or dying back like some ancient trees often you'd see that start to to retrench and die back into the bowl but this tree has doesn't really have any signs of that at all still sprightly how wide is the bowl of this tree? What's the girth? Like, how many people would you need standing around it, holding hands to get the whole way around I the tree? Know, I haven't measured it. How many tree hugs would it take <laughs> to get around this tree? I wonder. It comes out quite far again at the back. Like, it's, yeah, I would say 12. Had <laughs> a guess, had <laughs> an estimate. This is definitely like you could nearly, you could probably play a game of snooker up there or something. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's huge. Yeah. The inside of the bowl is absolutely enormous. Probably bigger than the house that I've been living in for the last while. And there's all kinds of mosses and lichens growing on the, yeah, on the bark as well. And ferns and things growing up. and briar fights. It supports a lot of us, supporting a lot of life. Do you know how old this tree might be? Well, they say that it's a thousand years old. It was planted by Brian Brew himself, but there's, um, there's a lot of debate around that. <laughs> And what about Brian Brew? Who was Brian Brew? Brian Brew is the, is the ancient king of Ireland, or the last high king of Ireland. And uh, he was pretty dominant in this kind of region. We're only about maybe a mile or so from Loch Derg and the Shannon River catchment. So his ring fort was just outside Killaloo. That was actually the ancient capital of Ireland. His ring fort's still standing. You can go down and visit it. So he, he hung out here at the church in uh, St. Cronin's there in, in Tomb Graney. That was his church, so there's a lot of history around here and it, the tree means a lot to local people around here, so there's good continuity. Like It's interesting to think that this tree would have known the Brehan Law. can just imagine what it would have seen as a little sprout, as yeah, a sapling. It could have had wolves, people, who knows what the people were like. It's just interesting to go there and 
what just language they were speaking at the yeah, time. Like yeah, yeah. If it was old, old Irish or French or yeah. Spanish or what was being, <laughs> what was going on around yeah, here exactly. at the time. Like. Jeremy was inspired to collect up acorns from the Brian Baru oak because he sensed that there was a mast year coming. The way that oak and other trees make a mast is such an amazing phenomenon. Every few years, all the trees in an area produce such an abundance of nuts that they cannot possibly be eaten by all the squirrels, mice, jays and other animals. The excess is just too much to be consumed. In this way, the tree guarantees that plenty of the acorns will survive and sprout. Do we know why oak trees would produce so many seeds in the one year and that so many different oaks in one area would all produce an excess of seeds in, any, in a particular year? Well, they, they synchronise, they manage to synchronise in pockets and it's to create that, that just such an abundance of acorns and it's just to ensure that some of those acorns and progeny make it. It's just a very clever way of nature to ensure continuity, I think. You mentioned the, the mycelium. Uh, is, is that how they communicate with each other? I know they're finding out more about it recently, in recent yeah. years, but is that how they kind of synchronise their drop then? They can produce chemicals in the leaves as well that can recognise each other. Um, I noticed in June, like, and I've never smelt it before, but there's actually a scent was coming off the leaves of a lot of the oak trees in this area, mm -hmm. even in seed savers. So they're always producing chemicals in their leaves. Uh, but uh, yeah, the mycelium network under the ground as well, there's definite, it's been proven recently, beyond doubt that they, they definitely communicate with each other. The really interesting thing here is that a mast year only occurs every few years. It's irregular, unpredictable, and inconsistent. If the trees were consistent in the frequency of mast years and the quantity of acorns they produce, then the populations of those animals who eat the acorns would swell to match the resources available. There would be enough squirrels and jays to eat all the acorns and none would be left over to germinate away in some forgotten crevice. But the tree outsmarts the animals the oaks here are fiddling the numbers to create better odds for the future of their offspring. And the most impressive aspect of all of this is that a mast year is coordinated between all the trees in an area. All the oaks in this part of Ireland have a mast year together. There are no solo runs. Such synchronised behaviour is just one of the ways that trees don't act as individuals they operate as a collective. For the oaks, abundance is communal. The health and well-being of one tree is never separate from the health and well-being of the whole community. We came down here in September 2019. They were showing signs of a heavy mast in that, that June. And we just followed it. We just kept coming and visiting it and just, just to see if it, how it was developing. And then on the 19th of September, there was that week we were getting tailwinds of Storm Lorenzo. And I knew that would be enough to just shake it up and so the acorns would drop. And sure enough, we came and they had dropped. And uh, we collected a thousand of them. We left the rest. We just collected a thousand of the best ones and we just left it at that. And we took those back and propagated them at Seed Savers. 
um, and that's the sapiens we have today. It was our 30th anniversary, so we just had the idea we'd offer them to supporters for the 30th anniversary, and we'd, they could apply for them, and then we post them out around the country. And we've had a great response from that because the application process we was there to just make sure it wasn't really a free for all. That people really valued the tree, and they had thought about where they were planting it, and they thought about aftercare. Obviously the acorns would drop, or maybe jays or squares or something could take acorns, but not maybe as far as mead. Yeah, that was the reason behind it. Like, they're going into universities, they're going into schools, they're going into parks all around the country, and as you say, it's a bit beyond the reach of a jay or a squirrel to bring them that far, like, so we're kind of playing the role as jays and trying <laughs> to spread them around. A lot of forestry, they want long, straight timber, so they would be looking for those types of characteristics, whereas I'm just, in, I'm really interested in preserving local genetic character of trees that are adapted to our Atlantic Oceanic climate, and um, that's really where the draw came for this tree, and it's significant to people, it means a lot to people, like I know from the applications I've received from people, just what it means to have a Brian Brew Oak sapling and um, they really value it and want to look after it. So that was the, the significance of the tree was the draw more so than the shape of it. But it's lasted this long, so it's, uh, the provenance is it's worth propagating, definitely. If you've got a bunch of acorns, what's the best way to, to get them to grow? Having a bit of experience, I would always go for this dynamic bed system. It's a box system, it's based on layers. So at the bottom we have sand and then just a huge kind of battery of leaf mould which holds in all the moisture and then some soil from the woodland floor as well, which is all the mycorrhizal fungi and all those like, the soil associations that the acorns use. And um, then we plant the acorns on a thick carpet on top of that, and then we'll cover up with more leaf mould, and then we'll cover up again with fresh leaves, and then we'll, that'll form a barrier which seems to stop predation, like there's no squirrels, there's no jays, nothing. There is a scent acorns give off that attracts predators, but the leaves seem to muffle that, so then, we come in March time and then we remove those leaves and then they just go from there, they just take off. And um, it's just a very sustainable way to grow a lot of trees in a small space. Any oak trees we plant, we really want to get them into maturity really, or get them at least established. I see a lot of tree planting has been done around Ireland and you go back after four or five years, cattle have been turned into it, sheep have got in. There's just been no real aftercare plan. So I would say it's better to have one oak tree from a local source and look after it as opposed to planting lots of trees and they don't get past seven years, I think. And we want them to be seed sources for the future, really. These trees are going to be planted as seed stands and seed orchards, and it's kind of a different concept. I know they're going to be looked after, I know they're going to be maintained, and I know that these trees will, will be future seed sources to kind of reforest the country. Standing beneath this giant tree, you have to wonder what went on around it over the course of its lifetime. This tree escaped the axes of the Gaels, the Vikings, the Normans, the British, and of us too. When I think of how the oak woods were wiped out across this island, it's really a miracle that this tree still stands. For those of us who are fortunate enough to know a bit about our family history, that might stretch back a handful of generations maybe two or three hundred years if we're lucky. The more details of that time we know, the more tangible and real it becomes, full of characters, imagination and culture. Even in the 140 years since my great-grandmother was born, the world she grew up in 
is now completely unrecognisable. Then I think about this massive tree in front of me. If it is a thousand years old, what animals have lived in its branches, ones we might not even know existed? How many people have stopped off here over the years? How many times has it heard the words dar or dira spoken around its trunk? Or how many jays have carried off its acorns and sowed its seeds around the wood? I look around at the forest floor and I see some small oak saplings popping up here and there among the holly. I wonder what the world will be like around them when they grow up. I start humming a melody to myself. I want these little oaks to grow to be as monumental as the great tree in front of me. That they might hear the words dar and dira if they reach a thousand years old too. That their roots will know what has come before them. The song of the oak becomes clearer to me the more I think about these little trees. And these are the words that I find myself writing and singing. to be a mountain tall and wrap your arms around the soul Dara dum diddle I do day Dara diddle dum I do day And on my head I'll wear a cap of yellow, green and red and buried in the jaybird's store I nestle near a winter hole when I spring up the blackbird's nest will settle in my crown And through my roots I'll know the land From Mizzen Hair to Mallantown in ferns and mosses I will dress my twisting branches green With a holly bough around my head The fairest of the noble trees Da-da-dum, diddle-dide-o-day Da-da-diddle-dum-a-diddle-day to be mountain tall and wrap your arms around the soul
oak trees provide the richest of habitats. Every nook and cranny is filled with life. Each organism especially adapted to their own particular niche. From a multitude of micro-moths to draping ferns and luscious mosses, through to all the animals who are homed and nourished among the branches of an oak tree. Each and every organism here is embroiled in a web of mutual dependence. The interactions between all the layers of life in an old oak woodland are so mind-bogglingly complex that we're only beginning to understand what really goes on. But Ireland's oceanic oak woodlands are now few and far between, and those tiny fragments that have survived are overgrazed and riddled with invasive species. Ireland's richest ecosystems are literally dying on their feet. There is so much to do to save them, and we cannot sustain hope without action. These last remaining giants are windows into our ancient past. The world around them has changed beyond recognition more than once since they grew from acorns hundreds of years ago. And there is potential in their roots to restore the landscape once again, if we can help them to recover. It has been an absolute joy to make this series about six of Ireland's native trees. We hope you've enjoyed the journey as much as we have. Each and every contributor, from the bats to the humans, shared special moments with us. To close this series, though, we have to reiterate that less than 1% of Ireland's land area is covered in native woodland. As a historically rooted and proud nation, where trees have been so much part of our being since humans first settled these islands. This is a dismal situation. And as we've learned over the course of this series, our woodlands don't operate as a collection of individuals. A real native forest is not just a field of trees. They work as a whole, as a community, supporting each other and everything around them in order to help the whole system thrive. They've supported our habitat to exist for thousands of years, and we still need them. They know how to respond and recover, as they've done in the past. They can do so again if we can allow them, if we can think and work together as a collective. We cannot continue to abandon our native trees and woodlands for they are so much more than any of us can ever put into words. So much older, wiser and more noble than our human ways. It is time we look to our native trees to help us. <laughs>